It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Very good Thursday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. Anything you want to share with uh, us, particularly interested to hear if any customers here in Cork have been affected by two of the biggest energy providers in the state having to come out and admit that they've both had billing er errors. Hard to put an exact figure on how many customers, but it does certainly run into the tens of thousands. Firstly, Board Gosh Energy, they've come out and apologised. They mistakenly took direct debit payments yesterday from customers, but they took them on the double. So they took a first direct debit and then they took a second direct debit. Now, they're saying 11,500 customers and customers that are living on a very, very tight budget may find that they've got no money left in their account when they thought they should have had money left in their account and the money could be gone because a double direct debit went out yesterday. Now, I do know that Bordgosh Energy upped even last Last night we're scrambling to try to reverse one of the two payments and get the money back to the customers. So while that's going on in Board Gosh Energy, the state-owned Electric Ireland and Electric Ireland, bearing in mind, have 1.1 million customers. They had to come out and admit they've had what they're calling a billing issue. And it means now not all of the 1.1 million, I think it's about 11,000 customers at they reckon or thereabouts, have not received a bill last month. Now, this is the bill they should have received for March, which would have been the bill either for January and February or for February and March. And for about 11,000 customers, the bill never arrives. And the timing of that bill never arriving really couldn't have come at a worst uh, time because now what's going to happen is uh, they're going to get a double up bill at a time when electricity and gas prices are sky high. And also bear in mind the early months of the year tend to see the highest energy use in homes and the knock-on from that is the biggest electricity and gas bills traditionally we've always paid are the ones at the beginning of the year. So the timing of this couldn't be worse. The energy regulator, that's the Commission for Regulation of Utilities, the CRU, said they're now probing Electric Ireland's failure to meet what are agreed billing period uh, commitments. Some customers haven't received a bill now for four months. 
And I know Charlie Weston, who is the personal finance editor of the Irish Independent, he was speaking with one uh, customer who was outlining to Charlie that they hadn't received a bill since January uh, the 3rd. So they are now, they now know in May they're going to get a bill which will be for four months. It'll be a double bill and they're absolutely dreading it. But this particular customer was aware that they hadn't received a bill since the 3rd of January. They were expecting to get one around the beginning of March, which would have been for January and February. So when they didn't get it by the 20th of March, it wasn't that they were sitting saying, oh great, I'm after getting away without a bill. They put a complaint into Electric Ireland on the 20th of March. They said it wasn't logged until the 27th of March and then they had absolutely no response as to what was going on until Electric Ireland had to come out yesterday and admit, oh, we've had a bit of an error, a bit of a mistake and some people haven't received their bills. Now, the statement from Electric Ireland says, Electric Ireland is aware of a billing issue involving an incorrect discount rate being applied to some customers. They're saying it resulted in less than 1% of the electric, electricity uh, customers having had their bill de- delayed. So that's where we're coming up with that. We're guessing the figures around 11,000 uh, customers if they're saying it's only 1% uh, of the 1.1 million customers that they currently have. Now, seemingly what the mistake, what happened was there was a mistake in applying new discounts for those coming out of contracts and going on to a new contract. So that led the company to withhold some of the bills because they knew they had to rectify some errors. Affected customers will be due now to be a very small uh, refund but they're going to end up with a four month bill for the tiny little refund they're going to get back. They've apologised for what they say is an inconvenience. I think it's a little bit more than an inconvenience and they want to reassure the customers affected that they will contact them and they'll make any necessary amendments as quickly as possible. Uh, so Board Gosh, well they're also apologising. They've written to 11,500 customers and they say unfortunately due to the error with the banking payments system, some of the direct debits went out on uh, the double. They also say they're working very closely with their bank AIB to reverse the payments for the affected uh, customers and they're hoping to do that as quickly as uh, possible. Board Gosh say they're investigating the cause of the issue uh, in order to try to avoid is happening again in the future. And while these mistakes are uh, being made, this is coming at a time when both Board Gosh and the ESB-owned Electric Ireland have persistently resisted demands to cut prices for household consumers. Electric Ireland has already announced a reduction of up to 15%, but that's just for business customers. They're not passing it on to householders. And we know, we only mentioned it yesterday, wholesale energy costs have collapsed And they're now back to the levels that were last seen before the Russian invasion on Ukraine. And that Russian invasion on Ukraine has been used so many times as an explanation as to why we're paying so much on electricity. Well, now the prices are back to what they were before Russia decided to invade Ukraine. And the refusal of the energy suppliers to cut household prices is despite the survey that we also mentioned this week showing that electricity prices in Ireland, we are the highest of the 33 uh, countries across uh, Europe and uh, electricity prices here are double the EU average on top of coming out on the very top of that survey as the highest country for electricity 
charges. Uh, we are also double what is the EU average. So, you know, at a time when they should be reducing prices to customers instead of reducing costs to customers, we're having blunders like this happening. Now, there is a little bit of good news for some electricity customers. These are, if you are a customer with SSE Airtricity, they've come out and said they are going to return 8.6 million. Sounds like a huge amount of money, doesn't it, to householders. When you break it down, though, when they divide it up between all of their customers, if you are an SSE Airtricity, you'll be getting a refund from the company of 35 uh, euro. And that move came after the company committed to forgo profits on its electricity and gas. Now, SSE Airtricity have just under a quarter of a million customers in this country. So they're the ones that will benefit from this 35 uh, euro. And actually it was SSE Electricity. They were the first energy suppliers last year to say that they would give up on any profits in favour of supporting their customers. And of course that was quickly followed by Electric Ireland and Electric Ireland have already handed back was it last year they gave 50 euro back to all of their customers. So it's similar what SSE Electricity are doing now is similar to what Electric Ireland uh, did and it's Pinergy um, I don't know how many customers Pinergy have but they would be one of the smaller I imagine in this country they are the only utility so far that the only company that has cut its electricity unit costs to uh, custom, uh, to uh, customers um, so SSE Air, Electricity now giving back a little bit but I think people rather than getting a refund even somebody made that point yesterday when we were talking about the government and would the government need to start giving more of those 200 euro supports to all householders I, I imagine it's something that they're going to have to look at next winter if we can't get the electricity cost companies to pass on discounts and to reduce the price to uh, customers. And as somebody said yesterday, rather than handing out the 200 euro to every household, would it not be better for the government to be piling so much more pressure onto the energy companies? Because at the end of the day, when the government hand out the 200 euro, that just goes straight into the different electricity providers and it's just boosting their profits. And by the way, if you are a customer of SSE Electricity, that 35 euro credit will automatically be applied uh, to your accounts from uh, this week. The company has already come out saying customers do not need to contact them to avail of the refund. As I say, the very same way Electric Ireland did it when Electric Ireland gave the €50 Euro back to their customers. If you are a, a customer of SSE Electricity, you'll be getting €35 Euro back on your bill. It'll come off your bill, but you don't have to do anything in order to claim it. Will anybody help out Liz in Farnry? Liz lost a black wallet. She lost it somewhere between St. Mary's Road and the North Cathedral. Now, unfortunately, in this wallet was a very large sum of money. It also contains a bus pass. So if anybody came across a black wallet anywhere along that route, St. Mary's Road and the North uh, Cathedral, we have Liz and Farron Rees. We have Liz's uh, details. It would be wonderful that some honest person has picked it up and we can get that wallet back to Liz. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Now, last week I spoke with uh, independent Galway Roscommon TD Morris, uh, Michael Fitzmaurice, who was exploring the idea of setting up a new political party focused on rural issues. Well, it seems members of the Rural in-
Independence Alliance are one step ahead of him and they're already on the road to setting up a new political party or new grouping. West Cork Independent Adult Deputy Michael Collins is part of this grouping and he joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. Now, Michael, just firstly, for, for kind of clarity more, I'm, I'm a bit unsure. Is it a new political party? Is it a new political movement? Or is it an alliance similar to what's there at the moment? It's a new political movement, but uh, it certainly could lead its way to a party. It, it, you know, obviously, we'll have to uh, field a number of candidates. The next uh, election, as such as we know it at the moment, is the local elections and the European elections. We'd hope that we will be fielding uh, numerous candidates for, for the, the local elections um, coming forward. But at this present time, it's, it's, it's you know, we, we, we're, I suppose, gathering uh, as many potential candidates, both male and female, uh, throughout the country, both urban and rural. Urban is very, very important too, because a lot of people associate uh, the rural independence as just a rural party, uh, rural grouping, sorry. But we certainly have a lot of feedback got from urban uh, areas throughout the country that feel they're not being represented, uh, and 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 there is no doubt that that feeling is very very strong in rural areas. Uh, but uh, that the, the political parties that are there at the moment have no longer uh, no longer uh, represent the views of, of the people in the areas. And am I right in saying that not all members of the current Rural Independence Alliance are involved in this movement? Uh, the Rural Independence, no, not all of them. Uh, there's uh, the potential of, of four of us. Uh, two have said that they're not interested and that's understandable too but there's other independent TDs that we've been talking to um, uh, that are interested also so you know existing TDs uh, are, are, are showing an interest in something set up like Deputy Fitzmaurice uh, as you said you spoke to him last week announced this in, in the public airways last week but it looks to me from and, and, he is, and I speak to him often because we're in the same agricultural marine committee he never sat down and personally spoke to me about, uh, you know, forming uh, an independent type grouping party type set up. So I don't know how far advanced he's on it, but all I do know is that we've launched a campaign already in in, in, in Kevin Monaghan, Shane P. O'Reilly, who's a councillor, an independent councillor who's gone running under our, our heading. Would you, uh, would you be open to talking to Michael Fitzmaurice? Because, I mean, it, it appears you've got similar ideas. Certainly, we we won't shut the door on anybody. But uh, I think, from what I can gather from Michael's statement, is that he wants someone else to do this. That he wants it to happen, but he wants someone else to do this. Um, and there's a huge, a huge amount of work on this. And, and already, you know, we've been at this for months in the quietness of scattering information, seeing people interested, no point in doing something if the the hunger is not there. But the hunger is there. There's a voice for change, and that's what we're being. People are saying to us they're absolutely um, frustrated and, and I suppose, maybe in relation to rural issues with transport and the cost of fuel and the cost of electricity and agriculture now with, you know, new targets set. I was at a farm there uh, two weeks ago in, in Fernandes and, and the, the, a young family there with 70, uh, four or five kids, a man married, and he said he has 71 cows. He's having to drop the 50-something cows if they're going to bring in the targets. And he said, I'm wiped out. I'm finished. And that's the situation people find. And what they were saying that the, uh, there at that meeting is that the farmers are being treated like environmental terrorists. And they feel there's no voice in the political system for them and no one fighting for them. And that's and what you're hoping this, the, the, this movement will do. You've, you mentioned that you've already identified possible candidates. Were these people that, that you're grouping, the members of your grouping, you approached or have people been approaching you, Michael? 
it's happening both ways. Uh, it's happening both ways because obviously when we launched some of these campaigns, the world went out and and, and other candidates came to us. We hope to be, that was Kevin Mullen, we hope to be in Limerick soon uh, launching another campaign, another in Galway. So there's different areas that we're looking at and, and there's, you know, I'd say in the council, you could have anything up to 40, 50 councillors, uh, candidates, I should say, running uh, for the council, hopefully fighting to exceed. And obviously a lot of them councillors will then turn out to be um, uh, running in the in the Dáil election. How many seats? That's impossible to tell. People have asked us me that. We'd look, you'd like to see that you could take 20 seats. You might only end up at 15. But look, it, what we'll, what we'll, 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 give, we'll give people a choice uh, and a chance uh, and an opportunity to, to, to have change in Irish politics. And we want people to... We're hoping that people will support that and, and, and I'm strongly convinced that, we, that, that they will. Is it hard to persuade people to enter politics? I mean, it isn't an easy career and at times it's not an easy life. It's, it's, uh, it certainly is not a, an easy life. A lot of people, you know, see the, the, the glamour of it, but uh, at the end of the day... You know, you know, and I look. I can't be pushing my own wheelbarrow to a degree, but I went to the doll yesterday morning at seven o'clock. I didn't leave there last night until a quarter of them, and we were we were running, and I and I missed some things as well because people text me from my car. Oh, we were over in Buzzles. You forgot to come over, and you know, this things. It's an extremely busy life, and and the life of a councillor is even, in my view, more difficult because they don't have staff and they have to try and men men the, men the ship start to finish themselves. Where at least we have staff, and it helps. The issue, but uh, it's a very difficult life, and there's long hours, and it's not sociable, and it's you know you you you, you don't have Saturdays and Sundays off because you're out there trying to promote yourself at events, and you have to you know if you if you want to hide in politics, you won't be go anywhere in politics. That's my personal view, and 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 we're trying to look at like-minded candidates, as I say, both female and male, out there that are interested and fighting for their community, fighting for their people, and we're very careful not to really call it a farmers' party or a rural party. It has to have a touch of urban and rural because, and, and that's something Well, well that's you're right, awesome. because the, the current issues affect both rural and urban areas. I mean, housing, waiting lists in hospitals, the cost of living crisis. It doesn't matter where you live in Ireland. Those issues affect everybody. It does. Housing, health, crime, like cost of living, as you said there, you know, these are affected. That, that, that's an urban and a, and a rural issue. And some of my own constituencies quite urban as well in Clonakilty and Bannon and places like that. So we're trying to have an appeal. And, and that this is the one thing that has come back to us, all right, from people that are interested in running for our, or under our banner are saying that rural independent, well, it's, it's quite comfortable for me. It mightn't be comfortable for somebody that's running in Galway City or in Limerick City. And we, we, we're, we're looking at maybe slightly rebranding ourselves in a, in, a, in a more open fashion going forward. But like these, you know, we have to put, there's a, a huge amount of work in this and there's Matty, Deputy Matty McGrath, myself, Deputy Richard O'Donnell, who has already attended the launch of Shane P. O'Reilly's um, election um, campaign there recently. And, and, you know, I hope maybe the next time we'll be putting forward a candidate, there'll be more independent TDs there to encourage people. There's, there's okay. a, and, 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 and this, we're getting a good feedback. And, and, and if this is a success, uh, Michael, and you do well in the locals, you do well in the Europeans, and then ultimately you do well in uh, the general election, whenever that is going to happen, w- would, would your wish be that that grouping would enter government and by entering government, that's where you can make real change. Well, in fairness, any of the previous elections in 16 and then 2016, 2020, we did sit around the table uh, with, with uh, the, the bigger parties as such to form, uh, be part of a government. They choose to, uh, with Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, they choose the Greens and 
they had no interest in running anybody else, only the Greens, and that's fair enough. That was their choice, and I think it's coming at a very, very high price for the people of Ireland. But we certainly will be sitting around the table if we can come up with 10, 12, 15, 18 TDs sitting around the table to be part of a government, irregardless of who that government is going to be. Because if you're in politics, you can't always be in politics to be opposition. You can't always be in politics to be in government either. You know, there's a good opposition. Good opposition is easy to. But we certainly will be sitting around the table and we'll be playing a part in forming a government if we're, we're accepted. But it will not it will not be at the cost of the people of rural and urban Ireland. In particular, people of rural Ireland are getting absolutely hammered. And and a finger being pointed and continuously by Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil, the Greens, and sometimes Sinn Féin. They don't have a sympathy for the people of the rural uh, Ireland either. And, uh, they, you know, they have a lot to answer as well. But we certainly are giving people a choice. And it looks to me, Patricia, from what I can hear, and, and, and it, it seems to be the same, it's echoing from all over around the country that uh, people are saying to me that we want change, but we don't exactly want Sinn Féin. So I'm not here to a speech in Fiend. They can stand up for themselves. Yeah, they're doing, so they they're, want something well, yeah, different. They are doing they well on the opinion different. polls. I don't know if Absolutely. you saw the Irish, if you've seen the front page of the Daily Mail, uh, a member of the Green Party has criticised your new uh, rural political movement. It is a senator by the name of Roisin Garvey. She's from County Clare. Uh, and I'll quote, she said, I don't know what their definition of rural is. Is it anybody outside the pale? Little turf fires like Peg Sayers. Most of rural Ireland isn't that at all things have changed and the lads need to get with it how do you respond to that criticism well I think that uh, you know hopefully by the next council election uh, that uh, the change um, that what she's saying will be uh, totally different to what the people are are going to do and that's what they're telling us they want change Uh, the Greens haven't done it for the people they've pointed the finger at the people of rural Ireland and continuously hammered them and punished them, punished them. You shouldn't punish people. Look at them. The price of public transport. Look at the agriculture situation. Look at them. Fisheries. Nothing happening. Absolutely nothing for for the, for the people that want to live in in rural in the rural communities. And you know, there's life outside outside the Red Co. And that's the un, unfortunate situation that we find. Even if you're talking to a, a, can, a potential candidate Limerick, they feel that the whole thing is running into the capital, and 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 the, the government's focusing on the capital. So, like, I think. Our criticism, like she has to look at her own party. They've lost members of their own party recently, the Green Party. So, like, all things aren't rosy in the Green Party either, you know. So, uh, pointing the finger as to how our group is going to work out, I think, is a bit early. Uh, I have strong Okay, and I can, uh, I, 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 I can see there's a, a lot of of support coming in. People are asking, uh, will you be running candidates across Cork, uh, across Cork County? Absolutely, Cork City and County. Oh, Cork, Cork City, City and, and County. County. Okay. And County, okay. Yeah. Um, so we have a uh, very strong community activists and uh, po- politicians that are out there already that are very, very uh, strong in their community. And, and I'd be very confident that we would uh, have significant gains in Cork in the next local elections. Uh, you know, I hate to name people at this present time, but both male and female uh, candidates are going to be running under our or banner in the next council election. Okay. And I, I'm and confident that they And are you taking inspiration from the from the Dutch farmer citizens movement? I think they took 19% uh, in the elections last uh, last month. Yeah, that was a sensational victory uh, for them. And I think, yes, but we had our move made before this and maybe we were doing this a bit maybe too peacefully, I don't know. 
when we're trying to get ourselves together because, you know, it's a, there's a lot of work in this. We have to look after our constituents. You know, that's hugely important as well. Uh, and at the same time, you, you could be voting Donegal some night and trying to run a candidate. But the Dutch victory for the farmers group there was uh, was a significant victory for the ordinary common people. And it sent a message right throughout the world. It's not just in the message uh, throughout our country or their country. It's sent right throughout, uh, definitely throughout Europe and yeah, that uh, the, the rural movement is, 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 is starting. And I think people are sick to death of this total uh, green agenda that's anti-rural and anti, uh, anti, um, uh, anti-person anti uh, as such. Like, and the people are sick to death of being uh, finger-pointed at doing things wrong and, and not working with people for solutions, only creating problems that are making people suffer, suffer severe in rural Ireland. OK, and uh, just to give you one uh, comment in, Heidi says, once again, it is our Deputy Michael Collins working for us. Great idea for this new party, new movement. We need somebody with a good party working especially for us in rural areas as we're always left on the long finger. Uh, great work Michael you'll have my vote. Okay. Alright listen we'll stay in contact with you. I think we'll be talking a lot more about this especially between now and the next. We've got local elections and European elections first but in the meantime uh, Deputy Michael Collins in West Cork thank you for joining us on the programme. Now Safeguarding Ireland has welcomed the commencement of new laws on assisted decision making which came into force yesterday. Patricia Rickard Clark is Chair of Safeguarding Ireland and they, of course, are a group that promotes protection of vulnerable adults. And tonight, I say, Patricia joins me this morning. Good morning to you. Good morning, Patricia. You're, you're very welcome to the programme. I suppose, can you firstly outline why these laws are so important? Well, first of all, we're working up to yesterday with legislation of 1871 called the Lunacy Regulations Ireland Act. Totally archaic legislation. Um not taking into account people's rights or not taking into account their ability to make some decisions. So um, it has been a long journey. Um, It has taken us the best part of 20 years to get here. The original Act was enacted in 2015, the Amendment Act then last year, 2022. So this Act is really important in terms that it lays down certain principles, first of all, and that is that we must presume everybody has capacity in the first instance. So in other words, regardless of age, appearance, disability, uh, whatever, we presume a person has capacity. And then if we find that their capacity may be at issue or they lack capacity, our obligation and the Act then sets out our obligation to support them. So that's professionals, healthcare professionals, financial professionals, legal professionals, families, society at large. So we support and assist the person to make their own decisions insofar as possible. Um, we've had, so we're coming from a system, a wardship system, where people were taken into the wardship of the court. They then were left with no voice and no power to make any decisions. And we all know uh, of people who maybe have uh, old, frail, sick temporarily uh, unable to make decisions or permanently unable to make decisions or people who have uh, dementia or people with intellectual disability. Many of those people can make at least some decisions, sometimes reach the stage where they can't make any decisions. Uh, So the Act sets out a very detailed framework uh, to take account then of the different levels of capacity. So a person can appoint... um, different people to assist them. So the emphasis on the Act is assisting and supporting a person to make decisions. As you see, capacity is in brackets there. So um, uh, so 
the first level then would be a decision-making assistant where, for example, if I was diagnosed with dementia and I had short-term memory problems, I still can make my decisions, but I might need help to get information or have information explained to me. Um, uh, oh, and then importantly... So, so, so at that point, you would decide, you would identify yes. one or even, even more, maybe two people who yes. would help you with that decision-making. Indeed, or yeah. get the information for me. I still am making the decision, but I need that help. Okay. And sometimes, you know, when, when you're getting, uh, you know, when you're in difficulty, sometimes uh, a lot of information that you get can be, you know, hard to interpret and hard to understand. So, again, to assist you to make that. And you can enter into an agreement with the person. You don't have to. Uh, again, you know, when you're uh, interacting with another party, if you say X is assisting me here, they should recognise that person as assisting, providing they're not, you know, taking control and making decisions. Up to this, to see when a person lacked capacity, we all hopped in, made decisions on behalf of a person which we felt was in their best interest. Yeah, and that the key there is which we felt. That's not, right. Yeah. That's right. And best and what our view was, what we thought was in their best interest. Now this act again, coming back to those guiding principles, is saying in supporting and assisting the person, uh, we must have regard to their past and present will and preference, insofar as we can ascertain that. We must have regard to their beliefs and values. Again, I may have a different value system or belief system to you, Mm. but if I'm appointed as your assistant, I must respect your will and preference and your beliefs and your values. So really important. And then... Obviously, again, the principles are to respect the rights, dignity, bodily integrity, privacy, autonomy and control over financial affairs and property. So, again, it's, it's the human rights element. This act is very much about the rights of that individual uh, whose capacity is at issue. So, um, would you like and, me to and, go on? Yeah, and, and I love that one of the guiding principles is an unwise decision does not mean that a person is unable to make a decision. Indeed, I think indeed. that's a really important statement. It is. So even though I disagree with the decision you are making, and we all make unwise decisions from time to time, you know. Now, and if even if I disagree and I, I believe it's an unwise decision, it's your decision, I have to respect your decision. Now, obviously, there may come a situation where your decisions are so unwise, they're, you know, you're maybe at They're risk. unsafe, yeah. They're, they're yeah unsafe that's different, yeah. And yeah. that's a different situation. Yeah. What it's saying is, uh, you know, Many people say with intellectual disability were not allowed to spend their money or travel or whatever if they wanted to, you know, because people felt, oh, they have this disability, therefore they shouldn't, it's unwise for them to do X, Y or Z. So, again, it's coming back to that and respecting that person. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and you know, the, the very fact I was reading up on this yesterday, I mean, the very fact that we need to replace a law that uses the word lunacy is yes, just yes. such an archaic uh, word. Yes. Um, it, it, I mean, this is just long, long um, overdue. Uh, will, will it still take some aspects of the law time to come into effect? Um, most of it will come into effect now. Uh, there, there will be a view, there, uh, or a view there, there's about over 2,000 wards of court. All of their capacity will have to be reviewed under this legislation to ensure, to ascertain whether they have capacity to make decisions or what decisions they have capacity, and they'll be transferred into the new system if they need continuing support and help. And the Act provides for a three-year period 
for that review to take place. Obviously, there are quite a number of them. And again, uh, the court must abide by the guiding principles in reviewing that capacity, which is really, really important. Um, mo- most of the other uh, piece of legislation, now the other important thing, I, I didn't mention the co-decision maker. If I'm a little bit more challenged, I might need somebody to make decisions jointly miss with me and I can enter into agreement. That's a little bit more formal arrangement. And then the really important thing is that we all should be planning in advance for a a time where we may lack capacity to make our own decisions. And we should be doing, uh, making our enjoying powers of attorney, which mainly deal with our property and affairs, or making an advanced healthcare directive. And these are spelt out in the legislation. Uh, uh, so advanced healthcare directive is in relation to consent and refusal to treatment, medical treatment, really important. If we haven't yeah. put those plans in place in advance, then if a person lacks capacity, it's an application to the circuit court. And the court can make a once-off decision, again, least intrusive approach, or decide to appoint a person called a decision-making representative. And the court will dictate what decisions. Now, all of those arrangements come under the oversight of a new office, which is the director of the Decision Support Service. And I would encourage everybody to go onto that website. It's www.decisionsupportservice.ie. It has huge information around all of these arrangements. And very much they have a statutory obligation and remit to assist people to know what those arrangements are all about and also to give information to people who are being asked to assist and support a person. So really, really important. Yeah, OK. And, and, and you know, this is an act that's going to be relevant to all of us at, 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 at different times. Do we now really need, Patricia, the public and professionals to get informed and to Absolutely. get as much information? Absolutely. Now, the, the, the DSS, the Decision Support Service, has produced the day before yesterday 13 codes of practice. Um, and some of those codes, one code for financial professionals, a second code for legal professionals, another code for independent advocates, and a codes for all of the different arrangements as well. So a uh, co-decision maker, decision-making assistant, etc. Um, so uh, it, it, it's really important. And again, hopefully, I mean, the act is one thing. It's to change the culture is the other thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need in practice to make sure this act is implemented and people understand what, what, you know, it's necessary to respect that other person's rights and help and assist them insofar as possible. And we, we're here because, you know, we, we um, signed the UN Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities in 2007. We were not in a position to ratify that convention until we enacted our 2015 Act and we ratified the convention in 2018. And that convention says all people with disabilities have equal rights to the rest of us. Some people may need assistance and support in exercising their legal rights. So that's what we're talking about, assisting and supporting a person to exercise their rights, but they have equal legal rights to everybody else. And of course, ultimately, what this is all about is is reducing uh, abuse of of, of adult uh, people, particularly those that are are vulnerable. And uh, and I know I've spoken with you in the past uh, before, Patricia. There is a lot of it going on, unfortunately. Unfortunately, there is. And hopefully this act is the first... um, level of adult safeguarding legislation. Again, Safeguarding Ireland, our main remit is to see the enactment of adult safeguarding legislation with that huge gap there with no legislation, no legal framework. So this 
feels as, as obviously there's a legal framework here for people who whose capacity has issues, but there's a much wider cohort of people who are vulnerable in vulnerable circumstances, need support and assistance from time to time, who have capacity, but you know they're under the influence of another person. They're abused, they're financially abused, etc. There's a high level of financial abuse, particularly of people uh, who have intellectual disability and pe- older people. It has to um, stop. And it, it, yes. just, it has to stop. And you've got your own great website, which is uh, safeguardingireland.org. Patricia, I have to leave it there. Thank you yes. for that. And uh, we'll speak again. But thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning Bye-bye to you. Now. That is uh, Patricia Rickard-Clark, who is with uh, CEO of Safeguarding Arts. Texts coming into the programme. A North Cork listener listening to me chatting with Patricia Rickard-Clark of Safeguarding Ireland wonders for the past 15 years, myself and my family have been abused and tormented by another family. Will this new legislation be of any help to us because we've reported it to the guards and nothing has been done, says a North Cork listener. No, unfortunately, what you appear to be dealing with is antisocial behaviour. All I can say to you is to is to keep complaining and to keep making the cause. What we were talking about this new legislation, that the new laws uh, that came in yesterday, it's protecting older people. I mean, a typical example would be an older person being moved into a nursing home against their wishes or an older person having their money spent by relatives or even there's been cases of a person having a medical procedure that they didn't really want, but the family felt it was the right thing for for granny or whatever. So it's kind of issues like that is what it will deal with. It will also ensure that older people are those with uh, disabilities will be able to make their own choices for as long as possible but no and sadly what you're talking about is antisocial behaviour do we need new laws around antisocial behaviour we probably do Mary has been on to say Patricia would you please call this out to see am I the only one did any other of your listeners get a second letter from the revenue commissioners about the local property tax saying you owe the money but you know you've already paid it that's the first text or call like that, Mary, we have received in. I know we did have some people who had a direct debit set up. And of course, the direct debit, anyone who's, who've set up, who set up an annual direct debit for revenue, it went out at the end of March, wasn't it? It was the payment date. I know there was a problem with some people who had had a direct debit for a number of years and suddenly it didn't go through. I think for some people it was to do with Ulster Bank and KBC, the banks that are gone and whether revenue hadn't been notified or whatever I don't know so of course there was no the direct debit wasn't available so for some people they thought they paid their local property tax and then there was an issue around their direct debit and then they got the letter from revenue saying you haven't paid but I certainly haven't heard I'm not saying that you're on your own Mary this is somebody getting a letter Mary's definitely and I'm assuming she's checked with the bank she has paid her local property tax but she's now got a letter from revenue saying that she hasn't uh, paid it. Uh, I, I, and I don't know from that text, have you tried to reach out to Rev- Revenue to find out what is going on, Mary? That certainly would be uh, my first port of call for you. 0818 103 103. But just let's see, it may have happened to other people who got a letter to say they owe the money when in fact they have already uh, paid it. We've been talking about electricity companies and, and in particular uh, the fact that we've got Electric Ireland a delay on sending out bills to about 11,000 people and then board Gosh yesterday taking a double direct debit from uh, people. Tom in Mallow says he's been trying to, he's a he's a customer of SSE Electricity. Now I mentioned the good news for SSE Electricity customers and they're getting a 35 euro refund per household. But Tom is having a problem as he's finding it impossible to get through to them. He needs to talk to them about something. So he rings the number and it's this 
press one for this and press two for that. So he'll do whatever they're asking him to do. Press one, press two. Then he's eventually getting to a button where he's waiting because he wants to speak to a representative. He says he's been on the phone and he's been told there's a 10 minute wait for your call to be answered. So Tom and Mallow patiently waiting. And he said as soon as the 10 minutes is up, the line goes dead and he needs to start all over again. Has anybody, uh, has anybody a direct number that they can give for SSE Airtricity or any others having similar problems trying to get through? It's really frustrating when you're trying to get through to uh, customer service and particularly when you're, you're holding on and holding on and suddenly the line goes dead. If anyone has advice for Tom, uh, please let us know. Pat Infermoy is one of the people that has received an email this morning from Board Gosh uh, Energy. Uh, now, Board Gosh say that they have written, obviously they've emailed 11,500 uh, customers about this issue of the direct debit that went out yesterday. Uh, Pat got one of those emails this morning but it says in the email that he might be affected by the error. Surely says Pat if they're going to email people they know the accounts that are affected and the ones that are not. He said putting the word might into it and he said with so many scams doing the rounds at the moment people might just ignore an email like that. Absolutely. I would I tell you what I would do if I was a board gosh energy customer whose direct debit was due out any time this month I would be just check, check online or check with your own bank to see are you one of the ones that are affected and it's the same with the people with the electric even though I think the Electric Ireland people will know that they haven't received a, a bill and we've already heard from some people who were getting on to Electric Ireland to say Oi, where is my bill? Because people know you, you're you not going to get away without paying your Electric Ireland uh, bill or energy ele- any electricity bill but actually Martin uh, in Formoy says on the bills that are late and we now know that about 11,000 Electric Ireland customers will be getting a double bill at a time of year when a two-month bill would be high anyway without getting a four-month bill. He reckons that at least two months of that four-month bill should be wavered. Martin said it's not our fault, it's Electric Ireland's fault. He said there's no way we will be able to pay a four-month bill. We can't even pay it in instalments. I'd like to know are the government asleep or do they think everybody's getting the same wages as them? If the government can't do what they're elected to do, then they shouldn't be in government. It's time now for all politicians to wake up. I, well, I'm assuming if a very large bill, Martin, arrives in your household, that they will uh, uh, make some payment arrangement with you because you are right, it is their fault. I'm certainly not hearing anything on the lines of them wavering part of the bill. You know, they'll say at the end of the day you use the, you use the electricity, you're going to have to pay it. But I'm assuming that they will come up with some kind of a plan to help people because you're right, not everybody will ha- might have that amount of money in a short period of time to pay uh, the bill. And then um, this is a different Mary by WhatsApp, WhatsApp has a different issue to do with Electric Ireland and this is to do with smart meters. Mary says, are you, your listeners aware that they do not have to have a smart meter installed in their homes? Nothing is explained to people and once it is installed, you're stuck with it as there is no replacement if one wants it removed. I was advised of this when with great difficulty I spoke to a human in a Electric Ireland or ESB Networks. I was referred from one to the other. Well, it's ESB Networks. It's not Electric Ireland to install the smart meters. It's ESB Networks you needed to uh, speak with. Anyway, Mary got on to uh, the ESB Networks in an effort to get all of the different rates per unit if one has a smart meter installed or if one has not yet had a smart meter installed. Rates and times that they apply, are Mary feels, are not fully explained to customers. There are, for example, four different smart meter plans. I am aware also uh, that household 
fire figures have risen since people have been advised to use electricity during lower peak times to lower their bills, i.e. at night, as people are using their white good machines at night unsupervised. It doesn't matter if your washing machine, tumble dryer, dishwasher is two weeks old are 10 years old. Many fires have been caused by these appliances while people are sleeping. The powers that be making these rules and their advisories should be held accountable for what Mary sees as dangerous advice which could cause the loss of people's lives or the loss of a valuable at home. And uh, OK, I just you've, you've raised a couple of points there. We have dealt with this smart meter. You don't have to have it installed. You have to agree to have it installed. So, so you're, you're right to point that out if you don't want to go with a uh, smart meter and then when you have a smart meter you don't have to go on one of the smart plans I got a smart meter installed didn't go on one of the plans I've just stayed with the normal my normal billing of my electricity in that I get charged the same rate uh, throughout the day it does work for some people to save money by going on some of these smart meter rates but I, I caution the advice on it is to look very closely at the small print if you are going on one of the smart meter plans because while you might get cheaper electricity at night time you could end up paying very expensive for electricity during the day at a time when you might actually be using a lot of electricity so you do need to be uh, careful on that and on your advice about using appliances when you go to bed uh, Mary I've done a number of interviews with uh, fire safety officers and and people involved with um, you know fire safety advice who all say that that is a really really bad move to hit the washing machine hit the tumble dryer or the dishwasher and put it on when you're in bed with some of the smart meter rates you might get a reduced rate from say 8 in the evening so if you want to use any of your white goods use them while you're still up but yeah definitely the fire safety advice is do not go to bed when you've one of those machines on and you are right it doesn't it can be at times it can be an old machine but certainly we've seen cases of a new machine for whatever reason short circuiting uh, and it can go on fire particularly tumble dryers for some reason tumble dryers are more at risk at going on fire than washing machines are dishwashers so do be very careful and never go to bed or even go out really when you think about it you should be there the whole time to monitor those machines 0818 103 103 John Paul taking calls you can text you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs now Corks 96 and C103 are looking for oh, sorry it's Corks 96 are looking for a receptionist for a 12 month maternity cover good computer skills essential and the ability to work at the first point of contact for callers and guests to Broadcasting House CVs please to the HR manager at 96fm.ie Barry's coaches are recruiting fully qualified bus drivers for local link and school transport services. Please apply by email to info at barryscoaches.com. An apprenticed electrician and refrigeration technician is required for work in the dairy, commercial, hospitality and pharmaceutical areas. CVs please to contact at philipwalshrefrigeration.com. And the Clonakilty Park Hotel have a vacancy for a Deputy General Manager. You need to reply by email to mcarolyn at clonakiltyparkhotel.ie. 
You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. C103. Now, a new song with very much a Cork connection is due to be released tomorrow, Friday. It's entitled The Streets of Kinsale, and the song is the third single taken from the High King's eighth studio album. Now, before we play it for the first time, Darren Holden of the High King's, I'm delighted to say, joins me in studio. Uh, good morning to you, Darren. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks for having me in. No, well, it's terrific uh, to see you and, and to hear you're back gigging. And uh, the pandemic, was was that very tough for all of you guys? Oh, absolutely. 100%. It was tough for the entire music industry because nobody knew when we were coming back. If we'd come back, so many of our colleagues didn't make it back. They all went off and did different things in order to survive. We were lucky. We had been doing OK. We had been touring all over the world. So we barely made it through. But uh, we were blessed to do so, and and, uh, thank God for that. And during the whole thing, we were doing uh, various videos and live shows online for people around the world to tune in. So that kind of kept us going yeah. as well, kind of kept the whole ball rolling. Yeah, because anytime I've spoken with anyone, you know, since we've, we're coming back out of it, I, you know, I always make the point, you were the first industry to close. Yeah. And you were the last the to get The very back. last to come yeah. back. It was very frustrating because you saw everybody else sort of coming back and you were like, well, when are they going to give us the green light here? But, you know, at the end of the day, you had to sort of look at it and go, well, we have to kind of play our cards right. Don't want to say anything because obviously it was a very heartbreaking breaking time for so many people and uh, it, it altered everybody's life in ways that we can never imagine and you know we're still only trying to come back from it now but thank God um, as soon as things started to look good and it started to behave itself we got out there again and I think we were one of the first Irish bands to go back to the well States well so done. we had a bit of that look with yeah, us you know along yeah, the way and of course it's not just the singers you've got all the, the sound technicians the lighting people absolutely the roadies all a lot of, of people them. depending yeah. on, on yeah. the bands and the artists yeah that lost their jobs and, yeah. and, and I still haven't come back to it yet so hopefully they will we lost a lot of good people Okay now the streets of Kinsale you've got to tell us all, all uh, about this the background to it and how it all came together Well Glenn Power the drummer from the script is a really good friend of mine and uh, Glenn is the executive producer on our brand new upcoming album which comes out in June he's also friends with Steve Perry uh, they met in LA Steve is the lead vocalist from Journey Yeah, so I, I had to everybody when knows I those his kids name, I was saying my god Journey yeah. don't stop believing don't stop believing yeah. anyway you wanted open arms yeah. you could go on and on and on a really great guy um, so Glenn wrote uh, the song he spent a bit of time in Kinsale he wrote this beautiful song called The Streets of Kinsale about the white lady and her ghost and he has all the beautiful elements of that story in there and um, I went over to his house and uh, I sang the vocal loved the song absolutely fell in love with it immediately I went home happy as Larry that's going to go on the album next thing Glenn said can you come back over to the house it's about a week later and um, he said, I want to put you on the phone to somebody. So I went back over to his house into the studio and he said, Steve Perry from Journey has heard the song and he wants to know if you'd mind if he could sing on it with you. And I was just blown away, floored completely. So we got on the phone, Steve and I chatted and uh, a couple of days later, he had sent all his vocals and backing vocals and all his harmonies over and he did it remotely. In, in, so that's uh, what's wonderful about technology, yeah, isn't you know, it? You know, all of these and a lot of people done. got to doing that actually on the lockdown. They, you know, you couldn't get into recording studios properly. So a lot of people set up their own studios. I did it myself. And um, so when I heard the harmonies, it was just really, really emotional. And the fact that he even wanted to do it was one thing. But what he did to the song was beyond ha- explanation. Ha- as I say, we're going to play it in a moment. Yeah. Uh, the, the harmonies are just uh, incredible. So have you uh, So have you ever met Steve Perry? Then? No, <laughs> but I just spent 
four hours yesterday um, on Zoom interviews. I was in Leeds uh, up to last night. He's in San Diego. We literally did a whole bunch of European magazines, radio stations, Brilliant. UK, Ireland, all the national press yesterday. So I feel like I've I've met him yeah. and known him for years. We just had the crack every time we were off air. We would just start, you know, throwing jokes back and forth. He's the loveliest guy. So yeah. down to earth, so unassuming. And he's an icon and he doesn't even... You know, that is not important to him. He's just a lover of music and he happens to love Irish music. So lucky for us. And what's the connection with the Irish music for him? I think he's always loved it. I think he worked with um, he did something on a Clannad album probably about eight or nine years ago. But um, his girlfriend is um, her name escapes me right now. His girlfriend is from County Cork. Ah, So she's immersed him in all things Irish. She told him all about all these old great Irish ballads. And uh, when Glenn sent him the song, he wanted to know all about the High Kings. And voila, there you go. It's fantastic. It really is Thank fantastic. You. And of course, this, this, the, the song is about the White Lady of Kinsale. Did you know the story? Of the I White knew a little Lady? bit about it. And obviously then I had to delve into it. And it's, it's heartbreaking and it's so sad. Remind people who don't, who don't know it. Well, is, isn't it about the, the girl? Um, she was the sergeant's daughter and she married... In Charlesfort. In Charlesfort. She married, married one the of love the, of her life. Yeah. She spotted a white rose down on, on, on the cliff edge and she asked, she wanted to get it and uh, her husband sent one of the other soldiers down. He didn't return so he took his place on watch but sadly fell asleep while he was waiting for the other guy to come back and as it was back in the day, if you fell asleep on duty it was punishable by being shot. So it turns out her dad had unwittingly shot, shot his new son-in-law. No, and he didn't realise. And he it. didn't realise. Yeah. So then he threw himself off. She discovered what had gone on and then she sadly took her life as well. Yeah, and it was on their wedding day. On their wedding day. And and she had her wedding dress on. She had her wedding dress. So, yeah. So we we keep hearing all these stories from people down there saying it's true and you still see her. But it's the mystique and it's beautiful. Yeah, it is. It is great. And and listen, I've... This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
by the listeners who vouched yeah. 100% yeah. they've seen The White Lady of Kinsale so it's it's really lovely that we've got a, a, a song all about it talk to me now I haven't seen this yet because I don't think it gets uh, released I think it's embargoed until tomorrow the video is quite special the video has been put together for us by a gentleman called Peter Neal Peter is um an AI specialist. He's done a lot of work. He's working with Billie Eilish at the moment. And um, he has put together the most beautiful artificial intelligence video that we have ever seen. It's like something you would see in a Hollywood movie. And he has completely captured the story of the streets of Kinsale and the white lady and the love of her life. And it's absolutely phenomenal. I mean, the first time we watched it, we were speechless. I think people are going to be speechless. It's completely different for us, but it's completely different across the board because so many bands wouldn't even think of doing this. He's a friend of Glenn's. Glenn sent him the the storyboard of the song and he came back about a week later and he had started this video and I was at Glenn's house and we were just like looking at each other, gaping, going, oh, my God, this is going to be the icing on the cake of because this Because I'm, I'm assuming when it was first sold to you, the idea that there would be an AI video, did yeah. you kind of think, God, how's that going to work? I was I was intrigued, if I'm being honest, okay. you know, because every time we do a video, it's it's us in the video. And I was always hoping for something new and fresh for this. Like maybe we were going to do it as a sort of a little mini movie and stuff. Yeah. That was maybe the first thing we came up with. But then we heard about this and we were like, oh, this sounds really cool. But, uh, it's you know, the future, isn't it, as well? Absolutely. But honestly, people need to check this out tomorrow because yeah. you're literally going to be on, on your own on your own website. It'll be on the Facebook, the High Kings Facebook, okay. Instagram, um, Twitter, TikTok, and it'll yeah. be also yeah. on I, YouTube. I imagine yeah. it's really going to go viral as well. I so hope so. So I, I be really cool. Definitely going to, uh, 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 going to keep a lookout for that um, tomorrow. And then you're you're touring. You're you're just you're back from the states. We're back from the states. How We've does just the states uh, go? Yeah, really Busy. good. Yeah. Five weeks nonstop, sold out completely. We did some dates with a band called Gaelic Storm over there. Many people will remember them from the Titanic movie. Oh, yeah. They've been friends oh, of ours yeah. for donkey's yeah. years. We've always, you know, tried to work with each other, but the schedules were too busy. So we did uh, about three quarters of that tour on our own, and then we did the remaining dates with them, and it was just the best fun. Um, but we got back Sunday week last. Um, we're in Ballycotton tonight, Sea Church. I think it just sold out. What a venue. Uh, oh, amazing. And, and, I know, and what a beautiful I asked area. Darren, uh, before we went live, you've played there before. This is our third occasion to yeah. play there. We love it. And obviously, it's so beautiful down yeah, there, you know. So we're really looking forward to that. Tomorrow night, we're in the Talbot Hotel in Clonmel. And on Sunday week, we head to Australia for the very first time. And we're going to be over there. I was surprised. I saw online, because it's quite an extensive uh, tour. I, I didn't... I didn't realise that you hadn't been to Australia before. We had made numerous attempts to go, but something logistically always got in the way and some other record release always kind of hampered the plans to stay out there as long as we wanted to. Um, So we never really got the chance to go at it full throttle until now. So we're really looking forward to that. And we'll stop in Dubai on the way home to do a show there as well. Um, And then it's back into Irish dates. All the dates are on thehikings.com. And we have a UK tour then and another two visits to America. Yeah, it never stops. We're accumulating now for all the stuff that we made missed during that yeah, whole you know yeah. period that we weren't of course in you would have had gigs scheduled you're trying to catch we up we would with and now there. they're all coming in and, and you've got to take them because you know the business is tough there's a lot of new artists coming up and you've got to keep your eye on the competition yeah, you know yeah, yeah okay but you're I can tell by you you're as passionate and you love it as much today as you I do, do when you start how long are the High Kings together now the High Kings are 15 years this year so this <sighs> album this new album is a celebration we wanted to do something really special for the album so we've already re- released uh, two singles uh, one was written by Wild Youth. One was written by Danny and Glenn from the script. The new one is from Glenn. I have uh, five co-writes or solo writes on there myself. One of them is with um, Sharon Core. 
and we have Ryan. You know, we we just got all these songs in from bands like Picture This and Ryan Sheridan, really really cool artists that we admire and like. So. It's the first fully original High Kings album, but it's very much in the style and flavour of the High Kings. Well done, well done. And what you mentioned, Wild Youth, they're our Eurovision Yes, act. indeed. How do you think they'll do? I think they'll do very well. Yeah. They're really good guys. Uh, Connor's a great writer. Connor's a great singer as well. But uh, they have two great vocalists in the band and uh, they're just a very tight unit. We've worked with them. We did yeah. the Isle of Wight Festival a few years ago. I used to write with them before they became Wild Youth. Um, really grounded. I think they'll do really well. They'll do us proud. Yeah, and of course you mentioned the script. We can't not talk about the script without mentioning the passing of Mark yeah. Sheehan. That was just so sad. Oh, it? it's heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. And a really genuine, decent, nice bloke. Talent to, to burn, you know. He was so good fun, such good fun, and such a nice guy, you know. So commiserations to the two lads in the band yeah, and his, his wife them. and kids. It's just a horrible uh, it situation. It really is. Okay, so the High Kings, the Streets of Kinsale, it officially launches for sale tomorrow from tomorrow. That's it. Absolutely. Um, um, I take it on all the usual platforms. iTunes, Spotify, everywhere you yeah. find your music, it's okay. going to be theirs. Listen, it's been a real, real uh, pleasure. Good luck uh, tonight at the Sea Church in Ballycotton. Thanks, Enjoy Patricia. and the best of luck with this. this- and we're off to Bantry Garda Station where I'm joined by Garda Don Davis uh, for this week's uh, Garda File. Uh, good morning to you, Don. Good morning, Patricia. And How are you doing? I'm very well and you're very welcome uh, to the programme. Let's start with a burglary you're looking for help with that happened in Ross Garbury. Perfect, Patricia. This burglary happened on Friday night, the 14th of April last. So the timeline here is quite specific. It happened roughly between 3am and 4am in the Ross Garbury area where a commercial premises is broken into. So, Patricia, I suppose what we're looking for here is anybody that may be on the road around Ross Carberry or the Ross Carberry to Glandor Road, sometime between 3am and 4am, they may have got dash cam footage just to take a look to see if there's anything on it. And if they come across anything or saw anyone suspicious during that period of time, just to contact the Gardaí at Clannacilty. And Clannacilty could be contacted at 023 or any Garda station or any guard for that matter. So that's the Ross Carberry area on Friday night, the 14th of April, between 3am and 4am, and more specifically, the Ross Carberry to Glendore Road. Okay, we move from there to the Novahill Cove area of Kinsale. Unfortunately, again, a kind of a thing that continually pops up, Patricia, and I know we spoke about it at the fast, is theft from cars, you know, and the weather is getting better. We're going to be visiting nice areas, coastal areas, very isolated areas. So I suppose a car was broken into last Friday between 5pm and 5.10pm at Novel Cove in Kinsale. Again, did anyone see anything suspicious? You know, again, the timeline is very, very specific between 5pm and 5.10pm at Novel Cove in Kinsale. And I suppose just the same advice all the time, Patricia. Try not to keep valuables in the car that are in sight because it's only going to encourage someone to smash a window and have a go. If we, if you are going to keep any valuables in the car, try and keep them in a locked boot. Yeah, and put them into the boot before you arrive at your destination because you don't know who's watching you as you're piling all your valuables uh, in, in into the boot. And I'm right in saying, Don, that a lot of these kind of thefts from cars are opportunistic because I know people hate the idea that they were deliberately targeted, but many of them are just opportunistic, aren't they? Oh, the vast majority, Patricia. There, there's nothing personal with any of these. Like, people that are predisposed to being involved in crime like this will actually, unfortunately, canvas areas 
where they know there's going to be cars parked in isolated areas. So, like, this, these are all randoms, you know, like I said, people that are predisposed to crime in this way, they will canvas these areas looking specifically for isolated cars. OK, and finally looking for help for a burglary this time in the Bantry area. Now we're moving on to Sunday night, the 16th of the 4th, at Gorta Cluna in Bantry, sometime between 12, 12 midnight on Sunday night into 9am on Monday morning. And there, a commercial garage was broken into where garage tools and drills were taken in this burglary. So again, the same thing. Did anyone see anything suspiciously around Gorta Cluna or on the N71, the main road between Bantry and uh, Drimaleague? Anytime during that night, I've got guests guess her cam footage that they might be able to just take a look at to see if there's anything suspicious on it. And again, I suppose, Patricia, look, people that are involved in these crimes take these, you know, tools and drills. They're looking for a market for them. So look, if, if someone is going to offer you tools or drills or anything like that, that you know in your heart and soul, you know, the deal doesn't seem right, do not buy off these people. Chances are those that property was taken at some somewhere along the way. Yeah, and if somebody offers you something that's at a knockdown price, you have to stop and think, why are they setting it at a knockdown uh, price? Was it stolen from somewhere somewhere else? So please avoid uh, purchasing anything like that, because if we can stop the trade in these goods, it might actually stop the uh, thefts. Now, tell me about the Angarda Shikona's National Day for Domestic Abuse Awareness. Brilliant, Patricia. It's great to have an opportunity to mention that. It's called the Go Purple Day, and it takes place tomorrow, which is Friday the 28th. And I suppose it's it's just an awareness day for Angarishikona to raise awareness for domestic abuse. And, you know, I suppose, look, it's, it, we want to show, I suppose, the victims that we take the, the reports of domestic violence very seriously and we're here to help them, you know. And I suppose it's also, Patricia, important to understand that domestic violence can take a variety of forms, excuse me. It could be physical, sexual, emotional, psychological or financial. And look, we're here to help. We're trying to encourage people to come and trust us. And if anybody wants any information on domestic abuse or how they can report domestic abuse or what time of domestic abuse orders are available, they can get them all clearly on the Garda website at garda.ie. Yeah, and of course, the domestic violence has changed so much. There was a time when we, we would only have thought domestic violence was physical uh, violence, but as you say, it can take so many forms. And of course, only in the last number of years, we've started talking about coercive control. That was something that wasn't even recognised, or I think it wasn't even really understood. But of course, coercive control is a form of domestic abuse. Absolutely, and I suppose, you know, just to make it clear to people in case there's any misunderstanding, it can occur within a family, you know, or it can involve current partners or ex-partners, and that, again, very important to say, that's regardless of gender or sexuality. Okay, you want to draw attention to a a charity walk. Now, I'm assuming this is the walk we spoke about yesterday on the programme, the Rook for for Ricky. It is, (laughs) and I suppose, you know, just it's fantastic for these two lads to do it on, on behalf of Ricky Barrett, who I knew knew very well. Very Did you know Ricky? Yeah, he seemed, I, I unfortunately I never met him but reading up about him he seemed like a lovely, lovely young lad. Fantastic brave young man and look it's great to see his two friends you know, heading off on an 80 kilometre walk and I suppose the reason why we just want to make mention of it today, it's the bank holiday weekend, they're going to be leaving at 12 midnight from the Viaduct tomorrow night heading for Skibreen on Saturday evening so look to, to warn motorists, I suppose, that these two young lads are going to be walking in the side of the road, accompanied by a car in front of them and a car behind them. But obviously they're going to be taking up space on the road. So 
So, you know, we just want people to be courteous with, with the with the two lads and make sure that they're safe at all times and nothing goes wrong. Yeah, so and let's remember they're carrying rucksacks with 60 pounds weight in it. It's, 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 it's a huge, huge uh, challenge. And they're hoping, when I was chatting yesterday, they're hoping to be in Skibbereen by about six o'clock on Saturday. So it's about 18 hours they'll be walking that road. Hopefully all going to plan six o'clock. Yeah, they, they'll arrive. They will have collection buckets with them if people want to make donations. Or it's an aid. I'm sure they would have mentioned yesterday of Avine's Pink Toy yeah. charity, which is avine.ie, and they can make donations there as well. And there's the fifty sixty challenge. It's up on their uh, socials as well, and there's a GoFundMe page. So once again, best of uh, luck, and we hope the weather holds nice uh, for them. Now the West Cork Garda Youth Awards. The closing date for nominations. That's this week, isn't it? Tomorrow. Date. Yeah, tomorrow is the closing date. So it's one last final shout out, I suppose, Patricia, to uh, anyone involved in, in the community where, look, there's fantastic young people in all our communities who are doing great work. And it's just to encourage people to take a few minutes, nominate these great young people for the West Cork Garda Youth Awards. Nominations close tomorrow with, with the long weekend. If we receive nominations at any stage over the weekend, Patricia, we will accept them. And it's, is it into any of the Garda stations people can put in their nomination? Into any Garda station or any super value and we will collect them for them. OK, and it's, I always say to young people, you know, while there'll be, there will be winners and, and, and whatever, uh, it, just to get nominated for something like this is, is incredible. It is, and the fact that they get nominated, they receive a lovely certificate of acknowledgement that they have been nominated for a Gary Youth Award, which people probably don't understand, Patricia. And that's lovely for a CV going forward on behalf of the young person. And are you blown away every year by some of the things young people get up to? And some, some of them do it very quietly, that the community might not even be aware of what they're doing. Oh, Patricia, it's one of the most grounding nights of the year. It's one of the most fascinating to see and to hear the stories of these fabulous young people. You know, the, I suppose the media, unfortunately, have been in the tiny minority of young people who, who draw negative attention. But the vast majority of young people are brilliant. But to see and to hear these young people, it is just outstanding. OK, all right, listen, and that's just to remind people, closing it is tomorrow. Get your nominations uh, in. Don, a pleasure as always. Thank you for that. Thank have you a, have a lovely weekend and thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Garda Don Davis, who is based at Bantry Garda Station. Questions in about smart meters. I'll get to those in a sec. But Fimber Amalo was on to say this is the week that the bonus 200 euro is being paid out to most people on uh, social welfare. And uh, Fimber says he got his 200 euro bonus payment. Delighted with it, obviously it's to cover the cost of living but he said a bit of the sting in the tail for him Cork County Council he pays his rent weekly and for whatever reason Cork County Council have decided to take two weeks rent out of his bank account he normally pays uh, weekly and he wants to know why has this happened on the week that people got the bonuses I'm wondering is that just a coincidence but we've, we're, we're contacting Cork County Council because it sounds to me uh, similar to what has happened to people with board gosh that the direct debit went out twice to me that's what it sounds like uh, Finn so we will get on to Cork County Council just to find out exactly what has happened. Has it happened to anybody else? Somebody who pays their rent weekly, that two weeks rent went out and that never normally happens in Finbar's case. He pays weekly. So if anybody knows about that. We also had somebody on earlier who definitely has paid their local property tax and they're just after getting a letter from Revenue to say they haven't paid their local property tax and we've told them to get back on to Revenue and let us know how they get on with that. Uh, Claire is wondering if you're waiting for probate on a house, do you have to pay local property uh, tax or do I wait until the probate is gone through? A house has been 
willed to Claire, but the house isn't in her name yet. The local property tax came to the representative of the person who did buy it. My gut would tell me you don't pay it on, until the probate goes through. Now, whether you'll have to back pay or not, I don't know. Again, revenue are great. If you go on to revenue.ie, they're normally really good at answering those questions as well. But has that happened to anybody else? A house willed to you. Did you have to pay the local property tax or did you not have to pay it until the probate was gone through? If anybody can help with that, please do. 0818 103 103. Now, smart meters, we've been taught, I just happened to mention uh, smart meters earlier. I think it was with regard to, I don't, I don't know how the smart meter conversation uh, came up, but I know it was to do with when we were talking about electricity and electricity costs and how everybody knows cost of electricity has gone up and it's so annoying when the wholesale energy costs have, have collapsed. They are now back to the levels last seen before the Russian invasion of Ukraine and we're always being told one of the reasons we're paying high costs is because the wholesale energy costs went through the roof because of Russia's invasion on the Ukraine. They can't use that excuse anymore. Anyway, that has led to some people talking about smart meters, including Marie. Marie says, hi Patricia. We got a smart meter installed only to find out that it doesn't work and it won't work because of where we're living. We are now getting estimated bills where we know we're being charged at least over €100 every time the estimated bill arrives. The reason we know that is we can work out by taking a reader from the meeting, we can take out from the meter reading how much we've used versus what the estimated bill is. When we try to contact them, you can't get to speak to anyone. It's all automated. I know you can go online and enter your actual reading, but at the end of the day, it's simply not good enough. Thank you, Marie. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a very good service, but rather than paying out €100 euro extra every two months, Marie, that's exactly what I would be doing. Put in your actual meter uh, reading. Otherwise, you're going to continue, unless you're happy to pay the extra and then what will eventually happen is when they do come to read your meter you'll owe nothing you'll actually be in credit but I would suggest yeah it's frustrating and it's annoying and it shouldn't be like that but it's there are some areas where the smart meters don't uh, work and actually Kate has been on to say on the issue of smart meters she wants to know why is she still getting estimated bills she thought the whole idea of getting the smart meter was it was the end of estimated bills and yet that is the long term goal of the smart meter is the end of estimated bills but you can receive estimated bills if the smart meter hasn't been enabled yet and I'm assuming that that's what hap- has happened. I don't know how long Kate you have that smart meter I know when I got my smart meter involved I think it took the bones of two months before it uh, was actually activated and I certainly I certainly remember the first bill that came in, maybe the first two bills that came in were estimated but then the smart meter uh, kicked in and you so you get an accurate bill, there's no more reading of it anymore uh, once it is enabled. So I would suggest you need to get on to ESB Networks to tell them that your smart meter hasn't been, in a, it hasn't been uh, activated yet but as I say, if it's just recently been installed, it does take a couple of uh, months. 0818 103 103. John in Cove uh, says, and John isn't the only one asking this question, can you refuse a smart meter? He is a customer of Electric Ireland. It doesn't matter who you're a customer with because it's CSB Networks 
who actually install the meters on behalf of all of the different companies. So it, it doesn't uh, matter. And you you can you you can refuse to have a smart uh, meter installed. And we got onto the ESB networks and they say a customer who does not wish to receive a smart meter upgrade at this time can contact ESB networks or their electricity supplier to register their preference. ESB networks will then engage with the customer to understand the issues and to provide reassurance. If the customer still does not want a meter upgrade at that time, ESB Networks will not proceed with the replacement and will re-engage with those customers later as the programme continues and the benefits of the new system are better understood. The whole idea is that at one point in time everyone in the country will have a smart meter because I do know that what there are people who are refusing for a variety of uh, different uh, reasons uh, and if you refuse as I say you're going to have to engage with ESB Networks they'll talk to you you can still refuse to have the, the smart meter and then you continue using your current uh, meter but I do know that the current meters if the certificate expires on it or something happens to the old uh, meter then you're going to have to go with a smart meter because they don't have any of the old meters left and I know that's what another listener was saying they got a smart meter and they wanted it taken out and they they weren't able to so if you go uh, but I, I I don't quite understand why people are refusing smart meters. I know there was a lot of disinformation about smart meters at the time. Certainly it completely and absolutely gets rid of all this idea of estimated bills and getting estimated bills. And there's a lot of information on it that you can find out about how much electricity uh, you're using. They they really are uh, great. So I don't know why. But as I say, I do know that there are concerns uh, about it and it is an individual choice. So you certainly won't be forced, but you are going to have to engage with ESP networks if you are going to uh, refuse. And David says, how does it work with information back to the ESP? How does the smart meter work? And when and what phone company do they use to send back the information? It's transmitted. Oh, your electricity usage is transmitted wirelessly. It's over the 2G mobile phone network, which is provided by Three Ireland Limited. The technology used in the ESB smart meter supply communications employs multiple layers of cyber security and it complies with all the applicable data privacy and protection law. So it's the Three Ireland uh, network. And I take it, is that why our listener had a smart meter installed only to discover, wasn't it Marie, only to discover it it doesn't work where she's living. And I'm assuming that's got something to do with the Three uh, network, but it's over 2G and it's every 30 minutes or something the information is sent on so that you can in real time work out how much electricity you're actually using. 0818 103 piece that caught both myself and John Paul's eye in the paper today and I'm wondering how car owners uh, feel uh, all of us and I'll say I'm a car owner we are being accused of having a sense of entitlement but we need to make space for cyclists and pedestrians this comment is coming from the head of the Climate Change Advisory Council it's a lady by the name of Marie uh, Donnelly and, and she said that the Climate Change Advisory Council has now recommended that there needs to be a significant relocation of road space across the country and that relocation of road space must be in favour of cyclists and pedestrians. Now she was speaking at the department's the the Rockthus Transport Committee uh, yesterday and they were discussing the topic of uh, emissions for the sector overall and she said one of the areas that is most difficult to deal with is this sense of entitlement of road users to use the road. Can I say a lot of people feel they have a sense of entitlement 
punishment when they're paying road tax to drive on the roads. But anyway, she was addressing the need for more space on our roads for cyclists and pedestrians. And she said that's the message that we have in our recommendations to the government about road space allocations. She, she does admit it's not a popular comment and she said you've seen when there's been a suggestion either to put a bus lane in or to take away parking on the side of the street to make room for people or to put in a one-way uh, system. She says you will see people get very upset and there's almost the suggestion that they feel their privilege of being on the road is being attacked. Part, she said, of what we need to do is to illustrate to people that the result is better. Marie Donnelly also said that employees should have to pay for parking in cities. This is where parking is provided to, to them by the employer. Now, she said... At the moment, it'll only work in cities because they have public transport availability. But she said some sort of pro rata, shall we say, the privilege of having a parking space. You should be charged for the privilege. She said when people want to use their cars, they can. Maybe they should pay to use it more. She said we all need to look at reducing the number of cars. Now, she went on to talk about how many, many households will have more than one car. She said many households will have two cars. She says some households might even have have three. She said, what's the possibility if you are in a two car household, what is the possibility of you ditching one of the cars and going from two cars to one? She said, if everybody did that, it would be a 50% reduction. And she said, that would be very dramatic on a road and obviously very dramatic for emissions. And she said, that would have a real impact impact. She said it doesn't deprive people of a car but what it stops them doing is using a car. It's saying let's have one car instead of two cars. She says it's just a question but she wants people talking about it. She said maybe we need to think about it and look at it in more details and her comments came this is as the new clean air strategy is setting up plans to proceed with a pilot for a low emission zone. Now what city and where in the city this low emission zone is going to go in hasn't been decided yet but there are for example low emission zones they exist in cities such as London where certain cars with high emissions you're not allowed to enter that certain area and they're looking at doing something similar here and I imagine you know Dublin Cork Limerick Galway I'm assuming Dublin is where they would uh, where they would start this low emissions uh, zone but I'm interested in people's views from the Climate Action Advisory Council uh, do you feel entitled because you drive a car do you feel entitled to be on the road or do, should we all be sharing the road with cyclists and uh, pedestrians and if you are in a household with two cars how would you feel about giving up one again if I had her in front me I would say fine if you're living in a city that has good public transport you might be able to give up one car but if you've got two adults and I'm assuming if there's two cars there's two adults perhaps both at work or maybe one at work who takes off early in the morning the other car is either used to get the other person to work or maybe the other car is used to get the children to and from school to do shopping to do whatever else needs to be done like it seems fantastic that we would reduce cars and reduce emissions and I, and I don't have an issue around that but it isn't always as simple as to say that those of us who live in households with two cars that the simple solution is that we go down to one because it isn't always practically possible 0818 103 103 lines open The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing community and business supports all across the county See CorkCoco.ie Shambly Moore 
Cork Community Development Group, they're holding an energy information night tonight, eight until half past nine in the community centre. The information available is on energy use in the home, the grants that are available, energy savings that can be made and upgrades all are very welcome. Uh, information evening for well-being will be held in Gurdvira Hall in Ballinine tonight at 8.15. The guest uh, speaker, there will be guest speakers on the night and admission is free. Kildallery Community Development, they're in the next week lotto draw, this afternoon at four. That's in the community centre with a jackpot of €8,300. And Dukas Clonakilty Heritage have an open invitation to their ne- next lecture. That's on tonight. Clonakilty GAA Pavilion at half past eight, €5. Euro cash entry. A Kaylee Sets will go on in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic tomorrow night, Friday. Music is by Michael Sexton. Dancing from 9.30 admission 10 uh, euro. And a Thanksgiving Mass for Sister Angela Pole. Now Sister Angela Pole was the former principal of the school that will be held in St. Patrick's Church in Formoy and that's happening tomorrow Friday at half past seven. And Toker Family Centre are celebrating their 50th anniversary tomorrow with a street party at their centre in Dean Rock Estate in Toker. It's from 1 to 4.30 tomorrow afternoon and all are welcome to come along and join in the fun. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. And uh, just some reaction to the piece I mentioned from the Transport Committee yesterday, Marie Donnelly, who is the head of the Climate Change Advisory Council, saying that car owners have a sense of entitlement, but car owners need to make space for cyclists and for pedestrians. Uh, Micah says, Patricia, my God, but that woman has some nerve on road usage. She should live in rural areas like I do and try walking and cycling. She'd soon change her tune fairly quickly. We pay car tax and property tax and all other taxation. Uh, we uh, we pay it and we are entitled therefore to use the roads that we pay for plus at the end of the day we pay this woman's wages <laughs> she's a member of the head of the Climate Change Advisory Council that's Michael very annoyed and somebody very pedantic and picking me up saying Patricia nobody pays road tax in this country we pay motor tax yeah but you know what I meant when I said road tax but you're right it is uh, motor tax and then a listener says I just saw a piece I think this is making the uh, Farmer's Journal this week uh, Board Nimona are importing wood chip from Brazil for a power station in Eden Derry. Where is the saving the environment in all of that? Forests in Brazil are being cut down at an alarming rate to make wood chips that they're then transporting from Brazil to Ireland. It doesn't make any sense to a mere mortal like me, says a texter. Thank you for that to 0862 103 103. Let me go to the phone lines where Olive is in Ballinhasic. Good afternoon to you, Olive. Good afternoon, Patricia. Thank you for having me on. You're you're very welcome. You're in a bit of a pickle with your daughter and your daughter going on the school bus. Tell me what's going on. Yes. Um, So all along, I did not. I'm in a concessionary area, so I do not get um, an automatic ticket. So obviously by now we we know how the system works, that if you are in a concessionary area, you might or might not get a ticket. I had a ticket last year for my daughter. I did not have a ticket this year for my daughter. Now, the situation is that I had no options. The bus is leaving from outside my door and I have to get to work. So since September, I have been putting her on the bus, kind of a a lotto system. 
um, hoping that the bus inspector won't um, say, no, you can't come on, or, um, you know, the bus driver might check tickets and say, no, no ticket, can't come on. So nearly every day, it's, every week, it's a lot of system whether she gets on or is she allowed on or hopefully he won't t- check tickets. And so Monday just gone, um, we got caught in the system. The bus driver asked her, or the bus inspector asked for tickets. And obviously my daughter said she didn't have it. He said, no. So um, she was basically left in, in the school, in the school grounds. Luckily enough, I was off. I was able to pick her up, ran in, collected her. But what happened then is that I was working yesterday. And because it was short notice that she is now off the bus, the bus driver says, look, no, that's it. No more on the bus. Um, I had no one to collect her at one o'clock the half day. Now, I can get her to school, but I can't get her home because I'm at work. So I had to, I was forced um, to keep my daughter at home from school while I went to work because I had nobody to collect my child from school. And all along I've been campaigning and speaking with my local representatives. I've set up WhatsApp groups. I've been on Zoom calls. I've done everything I possibly can do to get my child on a bus. And it has actually come to the situation where I was forced by the system that I could not send my child to school yesterday. Okay, what age is your daughter, Olive? She's 14. She's so in she, uh, so she's in, she's in. Okay, she's in, in secondary school. Now, you were saying she, she, there is a seat on the bus, obviously. She's not taking somebody's seat. No, I've always said that to my daughter. I said, if there is no seats available or if you're taking some seats just please ring and because I would I don't want her to take up I don't want a child who has a ticket I don't want her to take up their seat but my daughter's always said to me mum there's seats there's always um, seats available by the time we get to the school and and she's been getting on the bus September October November December January February March and almost to the end of April and yeah, there ne- was a couple of times where the bus inspector popped on and said no, and then I and I keep her off the bus for one or two days, trying to juggle it, and then and try it then again, and try it again. Yeah, it's, it's just a It's just a thing I have to do. It's not that I know, I know, I know, I know. You're you're not trying to fool the system. You literally have have no no choice. No, and, and there's yes, no there's other example. there's no other bus like a public bus or a bus air and bus. No, that, not no, in the Balmahasic area that actually goes directly to, say, Kinsale or so forth. Um, now, I did speak with everybody that I could possibly speak with it within bus air. And on their side, I was told that, well, my daughter's not going to feeder school. And I asked, what's the feeder school? I was told Bishopstown. And then I said, but how do I get my child to Bishopstown? There's no bus going to Bishopstown. And I feel the system shouldn't Send, um, shouldn't pick where my daughter goes to school. Yeah, anyway. I've I've always had an issue with this thing yeah. in feeder schools. It's a, it's it's a parental and young person's choice where they want to go yeah. to school. Yeah, 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 exactly. But there's only she's in second year, is it? So she's just she's in, uh, four she, weeks left. In yeah, the term. there's only four weeks left. Yes, well, it's four only four weeks. It's now a long four weeks for me because I now have to organise how my child is going to come home from school every day. I have to, and I'm going to have to juggle it between friends and family and so forth. But they're busy with their kids. I know, so I know. Forth. And I take it you have you applied for a in the hope that you get it for next year. I have applied and I have paid for. 
Yeah. For next year, yeah. And, yeah. and and you do know one of the reasons, I know Minister Foley has decided to introduce fees again. Now, it isn't a lot. I know it's much less than what it normally was. There was time wasters. There, there are people who are entitled to a bus ticket, but who, for whatever reason, they never sent their children on the bus. They're able to drop and collect them themselves. Some of them applied for it because they were free. And that's what swamped the system. And obviously your daughter got caught up in the middle of that. Exactly. Um, someone within the boundary put their daughter or child on the bus, which pushed my daughter off the bus. But even saying that, Patricia, the system is so wrong because this word concessionary shouldn't even exist within the education system and the school transport system. Because if every year, I it's like during the summer months, I have to wait till mid-September to see if my child has or has not a seat on the school bus. she Last year she had a seat, which I found out mid-September. Brilliant, great, that's great. I'm sorted for, for eight, nine months. Brilliant. And now I have to play the whole system over again in the summer. So I won't And know. this will continue until she finishes school? This, yeah, like she could be in that, she could be getting on the bus for five years and in her sixth year, someone could, someone extra who's within the boundary could get on the school bus and automatically, for the last year, push my child off the bus. Like, she's never guaranteed a seat, which is unfair. It's an unfair system. Every child should be entitled to a seat. And there should be enough buses um, for every child. And the system is, as well, is that the closing applicants is for new um, applicants is tomorrow. Mm. Now, a lot of new applicants are very green to this system. They think, I'll pay, I'll pay my money, um, I've all registered everything, I have a seat, grant, won't think about it till I get my ticket in September. They don't know that they're not entitled to, if they're within, not, outside yeah. the, the boundary yeah. and if they're concessionary. They don't know that yeah. they could get a, a letter saying, sorry, your child is not... Listen, for as, for as long as I've been sitting here doing this job, uh, Olive, every year I, I've dealt with issues over these concessionary tickets. It's, it is just... Ridiculous. It's just been... And I know they've been talking about a review of the school transport system, but they almost seem to be talking about that since God was a child and nothing has been done about it. You're right. The the amount of school bus places should go and the amount of children that apply to go on a bus and then you put on X number of buses. But what I'm particularly frustrated about in your story, in your daughter's story, is there are seats on that bus. There are seats on that bus, 100%. Obviously, the seats have a ticket, but the child is not using the yeah, seat. Yeah. And even last January, I contacted Bus Air and I said, is there any way possible we can just review that bus and get in contact with all the parents to say, is your child using its seat? If not, can you give it up? And Bus Air said, no, that's too difficult to get into that. Yeah, listen, I know we had one family admit that they applied for the school bus uh, place uh, for one afternoon a week. They needed to get their child home every other day. They were dropping and collecting and that really annoyed me to even see that in print that somebody <laughs> said. And it was because it was free. It was just really, really frustrating. Yeah, and like I don't even mind paying. Like I think I know, the I know. first year was a 275. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even mind going if the prices hiked up again because at least then we had the genuine people who want their child on the bus but now it's end of April now and as I was saying to somebody the end of April now the new applicants are in tomorrow uh, the, pay, the children that are on the bus at the moment they will automatically roll over so if I close the business on Tuesday take you out to Bank Holiday Bus Erin if they studied their numbers they should know the amount of new students and mm. current students within the bus system and then that's when 
they should then be looking at the number of buses that they need. They shouldn't leave parents know in September whether you have or have not a seat. Yeah, yeah, it's your child's education at the end of the day. OK, as usual, we'll send an email off uh, to Bus Air and it, it seems really, really cruel when there's only, as you say, four weeks uh, left to go. Listen, thanks for reaching out to us, Olive, and stay in contact with us, OK? Perfect. Thanks for OK, take care, Thank take you. care. Bye-bye. That is uh, Olive in uh, Ballonhassett. That's a really, really frustrating situation to find herself in. 0818 103 103. We spoke about rural issues earlier on and this was in particular with Michael Collins who's talking about this new movement um, for rural. And he says urban, it's not just going to be for uh, rural. Tom is in West Cork, says any government TD that backs the Minister for Agriculture in delaying farm payments does not deserve a vote. The banks and the co-ops won't accept the fact that the department cannot do the required checks on time. That to me is incompetence leading to severe hardship for worst off areas of this country. That's Tom in West Cork. And somebody else says, uh, Patricia, did you see the protest of the young farmers? I did. This was the MACRA uh, members. Yesterday's protest by rural young farmers that that many cannot meet their repayments in the autumn is a sad day and a sad reflection on our current Minister for Agriculture, Charlie McConnellogue. He's turned a blind eye and just letting department officials dictate what happens one day. Late application penalties and departments can delay payments. What? At will, at will, it's time to replace the minister before emigration from rural Ireland uh, begins. And that's a Bantry uh, listener. And that's one of the points that those young, the MACRA members uh, were making. So many of their friends are already emigrating and they say they, they want a future in uh, rural Ireland. They want the rural communities to survive and to thrive into the future. And the only way that our rural communities will thrive and survive into the future are if these young people uh, stay. 0818 Sean says, as a farmer, I'm concerned about climate change and biodiversity decline and water quality decline. I would have concerns voting for the new movement that Michael Collins spoke about. It's more of the same to me. We're like ostriches putting our heads in the sand and our ass in the air. And that is from uh, Sean. OK, that's just to keep you updated on some of your calls and comments coming in. We're looking for pet questions, please. 0818 103 03. John Paul's taking pet questions. You can text your WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. You're listening to C103's Court Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And thanks to uh, Finbar Sheen and Mallow who wants me to give a shout out to Stephen Murphy of Murphy's Law, his dad Jerry, and uh, his wonderful mam Irene uh, for their most powerful, brilliant video raising awareness, Remental Health and Pieta House. It's a fantastic uh, what they have done with the video. It's for Darkness into Light this year. I must take a point of uh, checking that out. They're very funny. Uh, you, people who know Murphy's Law will know Stephen and uh, his mam uh, Irene. And uh, you can get it on all their social media and other on TikTok. They're on Facebook. Facebook uh, as well. So well done to all the gang at, at Murphy's Law. And thank you to uh, Finbar for pointing it out to us. 0818 103 103. Let's go to pet questions and go to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mid Street Veterinary Group. Jane Pickett joining me. Good afternoon, Jane. 
Good afternoon, Patricia. And you are. Let me turn you up just slightly there. You're very welcome. OK, straight into questions. Patrick in Mallow has been on. Question for Jane, please. What would you recommend is the best food for a King Charles female dog, 13 year years of age, is on Fortiker Plus tablets one morning, one evening, is on Pedigree Adult Mini Nuts at the moment, but is moaning a lot after eating her food. I'm wondering, should we change her diet? Any advice Welcomed, please. Okay, um, so I think really for, uh, I suppose, a senior dog, we're in our senior years at 13, a good quality, complete, usually nut diet, provided they like crunchy nuts, um, is usually sufficient. Um, I suppose we normally think of ourselves and, you know, some of us will take supplements and some of us will take multivitamins. That's not usually necessary in our dogs and cat patients and some in some cases can be dangerous. So it's not something to take on lightly. I think if we're moaning and groaning a lot after feeding, and this is something that you've seen just with this particular food, it may be worth considering changing the diet um, as a first protocol, provided your pet is otherwise generally very well in themselves and no other GI signs like vomiting or diarrhea. I think have a chat with your vet about what they'd recommend. Normally they'd have a, I suppose they'd either have some diets themselves or they would know locally what's available to recommend. Um, But I think with dog food, I think really you tend to get what you pay for um, a lot of the cheaper foods, although, you know, they may be enough to keep them going. Sometimes they're not as, I suppose, as well nutritionally balanced as some of the dice that might be a little bit more expensive. But, you know, given given the year that's in at the cost of living, you know, it all is a real balancing act. Um, so whatever is feasible for you and your financial situation is perfect. But I really think to make the, the best or to get the most bang for your book, it's really worth speaking to your vet and nurse as to what diet locally that's available for you, they would recommend. Um, particularly with a patient that's on something like Forticor. So Forticor is um, a drug called Benazepril. It's an ACE inhibitor. It acts on the kidney and patients can be put on, on that for a number of reasons. So sometimes it can be if they have heart disease. Sometimes it can be if they have kidney problems. So it's a little bit difficult without further information just to know exactly what the situation is with your pet. But again, your own vet will be aware of that. And in some cases, if it is, let's say, if it is uh, an issue with the kidney that your pet is on that medication for, for example, it's one of many things it could be used for. They may suggest a, a kidney specific diet in that situation that may be helpful for your pet's disease similarly if it's on a if 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 it's on that medication for heart related issues there's no real proven benefit in any of the commercial heart diets um so have a chat with your your vet and i'm sure they'll be able to recommend something okay paula has an 11 year old springer spaniel now on occasion he appears to be in pain when he barks or takes food from your hand Uh, paula took him to the vet the vet checked out his teeth couldn't see any issue but the animal does appear in pain any suggestions oh that's a very unusual one so well done for getting it checked out first and foremost that's what i'd always suggest um yeah pain the appearance of pain i'd love to know exactly what it looks like um or to have kind of a more of a description um i i think if you checked with your vet and they seem to be otherwise comfortable um if it's the only time it happens let's say when they're you're giving them food um it could be something to do with the movement they're doing um it's a little bit unusual i would say really you know these things can be very subtle and as a vet it's a incredibly difficult sometimes to pick up these things when they are so subtle and so situational so if they only just happen at certain times I think a really helpful thing to do because my first thought would be pain as well genuine pain whether it be the mouth or whether an orthopedic issue with the neck and discomfort when we're reaching for things and um, it may be helpful if the behavior continues to take a video of it happening to show your vet because I'm sure they will have done a really 
thorough check out as we all would but sometimes these things could be really subtle and, and it helps sometimes if we can see what it looks like when it's happening um, so I take a little video of, of it happening to your pet and if it continues I you know I go back to your vet just let them know it's continuing as vets you know if unless we're told by the owners and the pet comes into us we have no way of knowing if something has resolved or if it, or if it's continued so if it does continue and you're worried about your pet or if certainly any other signs of pain appear at other times it's definitely worth raising it again um, just to take a second look because as I say these things could be really subtle Okay Pat is in Mitchellstown and I'm assuming this has just happened they had a, a worker who was cutting wood and obviously very noise a lot of noise coming from the chain so uh, and it's frightened their cat and the cat has ran away. Uh, Pat is wondering, will a cat be able to make his own way home? Uh, He he knows with dogs that dogs can return home days later. Do cats have similar instinct? Will he find his way back home? Absolutely. And I think absolutely provided your pet would have had access to the outdoors before so let's say where we have a cat that will be fully housed 100% of the time not have any access to the back garden then you know then the back garden and the grounds beyond that don't form part of their territory so they won't really geographically know it in the same way whereas if they have even some access to the outdoors part of the time or even if they have free access the whole time to the outdoors they'll know their territory they're really good at mapping these things out they can find their way back really well it may just be a case of when all the sawing noise and the workman noise settles down they really realise it's safe to come back they'll they come back reappear. actually yeah. somebody else is asking a kind of a similar question is wondering how long does it take for a dog to get used to living somewhere else he'd lived in his previous property for 14 years it's a cross between an English sheepdog and a terrier how long do they take to get used to a new environment um several weeks I think it's very much a, a personal thing for example if, if I moved somewhere new um you know if I had moved around a lot I might adapt really quickly whereas if, if you move somewhere it might take you months to adapt it's, it's a very personal thing and dogs are personal in the same way I would normally say a minimum of six to eight weeks for them to really settle but depending on what their situation is and given this pet has lived in the same place for 14 years it may take a little bit longer than that for them to fully settle now I'm not meaning that they won't be happy eating drinking and playing around the house but for them to really feel at home in a place it can take a little bit longer I think one thing that's really helpful is if you can I suppose when you're moving house don't wash all of their bedding um try and bring some of their smell with them so I know it's tempting you're going to a nice new clean house you know have everything spick span or maybe even new um make sure you keep the same bedding and some of their all of their toys try not to wash anything whilst you're doing that transition so they still have their own smells in the new place that can really help okay and Bernie from Mitchelton has a 14 week old golden retriever who eats his food very fast to the point that he can sometimes vomit he just eats it so fast uh, what can we do to get him to slow down his eating mm. <laughs> well congratulations on the new arrival I'm sure you'll have your hands full um, it can be really challenging when these dogs gulp down food sometimes it happens in puppies sometimes they retain the habit until they get older in adulthood um, a lot of the time it's just the shock of the food hitting the stomach very very quickly they just barf it up again um, because the stomach wasn't ready and all the digestive juices hadn't really kicked in um, if it's persistent or if your pet seems in any other in any other way unwell, for example, diarrhea or going off their food, then you need to bring them to the vet. But let's assume for a minute that it's just because they're gulping the food down. I think small meals often is really helpful. But what I will say longer term, I suppose a long term solution is if you look online or even at your local vets, a lot of vets will stock um, slow feeders. 
Um, so these are specially made dishes that have like lots of um, bumps and crevices for all of the food to fall down into. So it just means that they can't gulp the food down really quickly. They have to kind of work for it. And that does two things. It slows them down so they're less likely to vomit from gulping down the food very quickly. It's actually really great for their mental enrichment. So it's great for their brains to have that extra workload to get their food. Um, so a slow feeder is what I'd recommend in this situation. OK, we'll leave it there. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you. That is uh, Jane Pickett. She'll join us next week from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. That's where I leave you for today. Mark Malone is in for Nick Richards this afternoon. Thanks to John Paul for producing. Back with you tomorrow at 10. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.